This is The Camp with Zach Heilprin and the Athletics' Jesse Temple. Yes, welcome into The Camp. I'm Zach Heilprin. That is Jesse Temple. We're back. The Badgers now a little more than two weeks away from getting their season opener underway or getting their season underway, I should say. They're going to get it going against Buffalo two weeks from Saturday. Jesse, I can feel the excitement radiating through the computer from what your your face right now. I can just tell how excited you are. It's been a crazy 10 months, so I'm glad that we get to see an actual football game in this new offense, new defense. We've been talking about it and writing about it forever, so let's see what it looks like. I think we're all tired of talking about it. We all want to see it. It's been a really, really long time, as you said. How long ago does October 1st feel to you? Two years. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. The day that uh, the Paul Christ era essentially came to an end, obviously wasn't fired till the next day. But yeah, it's been uh, quite the whirlwind for the last eight years uh, getting to this point. And they've still got a few weeks out. They've still got one more big scrimmage to come, I believe, on Monday. And um, the Big Ten Network's going to be here on Saturday. So we'll get a peek inside as well. Plenty to get to, though. We got to talk to several different position position groups since last time we had a show that included the running backs on Wednesday and Braylon Allen and Chaz Malusi. And the story that came out of there was the fact that they think they're both going to catch 50 passes. Now, whether they think they're going to catch 50 passes and whether that's just a goal for them to catch 50 passes, I think there's there's two different things there. But both of them got a laugh out of it when they said, yeah, we told Coach Longo we want to catch 50 passes. I don't know how realistic it is. You look at some of the numbers from the time at North Carolina, Phil Longo's time in North Carolina, and, and what guys caught compared. And, and Ches Malusi joked that if they're both catching 50 balls, I don't know how many times they're going to actually run the ball. So it's probably unlikely. But, hey, goals are good to have. Yeah, the number is what jumps out to you. Ultimately, it's going to be the usage in general. And I would certainly expect based on what we've seen and the conversations we've had with players and coaches for them to be utilized in the passing game in a much bigger way than we have traditionally seen from a Wisconsin running back. And particularly as it relates to those two, Braylon had 13 catches last season. He has 21 for his career. Chez has 14 career catches. His career high in a season is seven They're going to eclipse those marks this season. Uh, I feel like that's pretty safe to say, which wouldn't take much. You'd need about two catches a game. Braylon said he told Phil Longo he'd like to have four or five a game, which is how you'd get to 50. But I think it's, it's interesting the way Longo has run the offense here in some practices, specifically with those guys, because he loves those swing routes out of the backfield. And I think the way he views it is it's, it's basically a running play, but you're just getting the ball to your running backs in space in a little bit different way. And they happen to count as pass receptions. Uh, there's six wide receivers though, that are very talented and only one football to go around. So I don't know what the distribution is going to look like, but I think it's fair to say if you're a Badgers fan, that you should expect both those guys to be involved in a bigger way in the passing game. Yeah. A bigger way. Now guy, Andy Schaff on Twitter, laid out maybe you did in your story I didn't get a chance to read it I apologize obviously a valued you know, you're a value person in terms of what I read about the Badgers you're right up there no offense pretty, taken you're pretty much the only person I, I, I you and a few others are the only people I read um, because I'm there for a lot of the interviews that you get your stuff from including this one so I didn't feel like I needed to go back and do it but Annie Schaff on Twitter so that's me trying to talk my way out of saying I haven't read your story 
Um, but Andy Schaub on Twitter, he pointed out there's only been one running back in Wisconsin history that topped 50 catches. And that yes. was Brian Calhoun in 2005. Some others have gotten somewhat close, but a lot of them are like in the 30s, you know, low 40s. It just doesn't happen. And I understand it's a different system, but there's just, I feel like there's just so many different guys you can get the ball in their hands at different times that it's going to be very hard for those two to get that many touches. I know, I, again, I know it's a goal and it's a, something to shoot for and Phil Longo's got to keep it in his mind, but I kind of think like a combined 50 catches would make a little bit more sense. That's what Javante Carter and Michael, uh, excuse me, Javante Williams and Michael Carter had in 2020 down at UNC when they also ran for a thousand yards each, they each had 25 catches. So they combined for 50 last year, all of North Carolina's running backs are combined for 53 catches. So again, Phil Longo is going to do things to get the ball in the hands of guys that are going to make the offense go. It just feels like a little bit, a little bit too high. I'm going to pretend that you did read the story and that's where you glean the information that Brian Calhoun caught 53 passes in 2005. Is that the most sneaky underrated season by a running back of all time? Because when you think of the best running backs, there's about five other guys you named first. Uh, and he was only here for one year on the field because he transferred from Colorado and then left. But my God, he ran the ball at the time more, more times in that season than any running back at Wisconsin ever. And the only guy who's broken it since then was Monte Ball in 2012. And he had like, what, 1,400 yards rushing, 50 pass receptions. That's a maybe a different conversation, but makes you realize what a ridiculous year that was. He was that dude. No, he was that dude. And you think about the 2005 offense, before you come along to 2010 and 2011, 2005, the first year that Paul Chris came back with John Stocko and Brian Calhoun and uh, the uh, uh, Brandon Williams, Jonathan Orr, Owen Daniels, like they had some dudes on that offense in the skill spots and Brian Calhoun carried the ball a ton. That offense could score. That offense could score. Their defense could not stop anybody. And it was kind of funny because the only reason, well, I shouldn't say the only reason, but one of the only reasons Brett Bielema got the job leading into 2005 was because of how good the off, uh, the defense was in 2004 when the offense wasn't any good. And that's why you bring in Paul Chris and you're going to combine the two. And the 2005 defense was horrible, horrible. Um, but it is what it is. That year provided some amazing, amazing moments. And Brian Calhoun was at the forefront of them. Uh, you think about 2005 Michigan game, he carried them on his back. Uh, up until John Stocko ran it in famously for the quarterback sneak. Brian Cal, if you go back and look at the numbers, Brian Calhoun touched the ball a ton. And then against Minnesota in the block punt game, that's all we remember it for. He had over 200 yards of total offense in that game too. Him and Lawrence Baroni went back and forth. It was no defense was played that day. Brian Calhoun underrated as, as they get probably. And I would go up there and say like him and James White are probably the two most underrated backs James White did it for four years, and he's still somehow underrated. Brian Calhoun did it for one. I'm kind of think about like what he would have been able to be if he had come here straight out of high school instead of following Eric Bieniemy to Colorado. He he loved Eric Bieniemy, and so who is now the obviously the Washington Commanders offense coordinator was the offense coordinator at Kansas City for a long time and, and got a lot of credit for what they did in Kansas City offensively. But I'm off track here. In terms of Brian Calhoun, yes, underrated as hell. And James White had 39 catches in 2013. So the, the difference this year, 
when we're looking at the you know, you know Brian Calhoun year, uh, a Jonathan Taylor year a few years ago, it's yes, Braylon is a, the featured back, but Braylon and Chez are going to be spelling each other, uh, which is extremely important and something that Luke Fickle has reiterated on multiple occasions that that is in the best interests of Braylon for longevity and for the team as well to be fresh, to win those games in the fourth quarter, to play as best as this team can down the stretch. That 2020 season at UNC it has been referenced a lot this offseason, but rightfully so. And Chez brought it up again when I was talking to him this week that I said, are there any players in particular that you guys have watched on film to either try and emulate or understand what this role is going to look like? And he said they watched film of those two guys that, you know, 2019, 2020, and 2020 is the year, as you referenced, where they both those UNC running backs under Phil Longo got a thousand yards rushing, 28 touchdowns total, and and each caught 25 passes. And I, I do think that is that even that would be tremendously impressive because of how many opportunities I think these wide receivers are going to get, but they're going to be throwing the ball a lot more too. So, so that gives them ample opportunity. Um, but yeah, 50 catches, that would be a shock. Another thing I referenced in my story was uh, way back in 2019, I remember doing a, a feature on Jonathan Taylor and sitting in John Settle's office. And he had on his big screen TV in his office, he had the video clip pulled up of a highlight of Melvin Gordon playing with the chargers and it was a play where Melvin caught a touchdown pass, like a six-yard touchdown pass in a win. And he was using it to explain how Taylor was going to be used in the passing game. And he said what even at the time was totally outrageous to me was that uh, if he gets 50 touches in the passing game, I won't be surprised if half of them go for touchdowns. Uh, that would have been quite a record. And I think Taylor ended up with 26 catches that season um, and five touchdowns. But again, he carried the ball 320 times and it was a totally different offense. And so there are just so many differences that it's tough to make comparisons for this Wisconsin team to what's happened in the past. But I do think there's a, a lot of opportunity for the running backs based on the routes we've seen. Yeah. I remember reading that in your article. It was very, very well said, I think. Yeah. Very I appreciate well it. I'm glad you had a chance to take a look at it. <laughs> I am intrigued to see exactly how the numbers play out between those two, between Ches Malusi and Braylon Allen, just in terms of, what exactly the carries look like and what exactly the touches in the past game look like. You would think that they may want to get Braylon involved because he talked about it yesterday, how he was trying to expand his game, right. And be a more complete back. And it was, it's not just necessarily getting the ball in his hands in the past game. It's also pass blocking something that is usually like the biggest hang up in getting for a young running back to play in the NFL is whether they can play all three downs and you can count on them on third down and, that was always a hang-up for Melvin early on in his career. It wasn't, I mean, it was kind of the same thing for Jonathan Taylor a little bit. Braylon wants to be a really good pass blocker. And there have been times in his career where he hasn't been, I mean, he's only been here for two years, but they weren't, he wasn't the greatest guy that you would you could sit sit in there and be comfortable with and put out there on on third down consistently. And I wonder if they feel better about him now and, and that they're willing to do that. I I get the feeling they are. Yeah, I think so too. Pro football focus, they have a lot of numbers and you can take some of them with a grain of salt, but they do track basically everything. And one of them is pass protection. All three running backs last year that that got significant run, and I guess Isaac Arendo's in there as well, who's now at Louisville, but Chez, Braylon, Isaac, they, they had some of the lowest rated pass blocking numbers um, last season. Some of that is you don't get as many opportunities. So if it doesn't work out, that impacts the percentages, but it's also not something that has been a focal point here, because if you're a running back, you're getting the ball. And 
the, we know how much more they're going to pass this season. So I do think they are more comfortable with all of them in that role because they've gotten more opportunities at it. And in terms of what the distribution looks like, I mean, who knows, but Chess said he would be fine with maybe he gets eight to 10 carries, but some of those extra carries are offset by the pass catching opportunities. Maybe he gets six to eight pass catching opportunities in a given game. That sounds like a lot to me, but Braylon is still going to be the number one guy. And I would expect the bulk of the work to go to him still just because of who he is, what he's put on film, his body type, uh, but they're going to need both of them. And they may even need a number three, which is uh, another conversation as well. We can have that conversation now, if you want, I think we kind of talked about it when Phil Longo, when we discussed what he had to say about the situation and kind of where things stand, we did get the chance to chat with Jackson Aker and with K. Docamelli and, they kind of said they kind of said what Phil said, right? They they bring a little bit different things to the table. Though I do think you know Jackson's year at fullback kind of brought and allowed him to think of things a little bit differently and maybe enhanced his game. Now being back at running back, yeah. I mean, again, based on what we saw, he was taking the first team reps with Braylon when Chez was out, and I think that's a pretty good indicator of what coaches think. That was also interesting. Caden Giacomelli's had a wrap around his knee and was, or, or his leg area. And I asked him what happened. He said he actually injured his hamstring during some running sessions in the summer. And when fall camp started, he felt fine. And the first couple of days he was fine. And then it started bugging him. And he said, so I was basically forced to go at 90%. Now he felt by midweek this week that he was back to full strength, but can't be easy when something's lingering like that. I do think, and he said this as well, he feels like he can have some success as a pass catcher. And we did see that a little bit in camp. There's one play specifically that stands out that you referenced where we ran a wheel route out of the backfield, caught a 41 yard touchdown pass from Braden Locke while running with the second team offense. Another way that running backs are going to be used. It's just so fascinating because it's so different from what we've seen, the, the variety of combinations they can have where you've got both running backs on the field. One of them can be in the slot. They can both run those swing routes. Somebody can do a, a wheel route. Um, it's just, it's different. And it's, it's much, it's much more interesting. I would say. It is. And you're, it reminds me about them being on the field together. Braylon and Jackson Aker reminds me that Braylon and Chaz are going to be on the field a lot as well. And I asked, Chez because I'm like so what's the percentage that you could potentially be on the field together and he said I don't know that's up to Phil but when we are going to be on the field together the sky is the limit for what we're able going to be able to accomplish it is a dangerous thing to deal with and we've seen Will Pond in the backfield a little bit as well too but I, I think for the most part when they're lining up there and then you got the three wide receivers maybe the tight ends you know uh in there too the varied options that they're going to have and I think as varied as they've ever been. And I know we've seen those two in the backfield together in the past. Hopefully it's not Braylon throwing the football this year. I think we can all, <laughs> we can all agree that maybe the wildcat has run its course. No, are you, are you disagreeing with me? Are you, what, what are you thinking? You've got, uh, if you've got Tanner Mordecai, uh, use him <laughs> yeah. to throw the ball. Right. So, but I, I do think that is the other part of this is how often are they going to be on the field together because that could also impact how many opportunities they get to catch 50 passes because if they're going to be out there quite a bit then we could prob probably see that but um, yeah I, I I don't know why I said the tight end out there obviously the tight end wouldn't be out there as well but the uh 
you could have the tight end out there, two tight, you get two wide receivers, two backs in the, in the tight end. But yeah, it's an offense that I think is going to be difficult to prepare for, but also we don't know exactly what it's going to look like either. So I feel kind of off kilter here trying to project what's going to be on the field when we haven't even seen it in a game yet. That's that's fair, but Chaz and Braylon will be used in different ways and together in ways we haven't seen because they very rarely were on the field together in the last two years. Over under a half a touchdown pass for Braylon Allen in 2023. Let's take the over. Let's just get wild and crazy. <laughs> I would kind of t- I would take the over too. I would all take right. the over too. Yeah, we won't go there. We won't go there. Um, all right. So another part of this conversation is with the linebackers because we were talking about Braylon and his pass, uh, pass blocking ability. And the one guy he talked about being fantastic at getting after the quarterback was Mumajong Meta. And we got to talk to Mumajong today. And Braylon said, you know, he's as tough to deal with. I know Jackson Aker, I think, said the same thing. We heard from running backs coach Devin Spaulding was well yesterday, or on Wednesday, I should say. What is it about Muma that you think that makes him such a load to deal with? I know Jim Trussell or uh, Mike Trussell also talked about it. Well, the thing that Mike <laughs> said was he's coming after you and he's got such a strong punch that, you know, you get hit in the face a couple times by Muma. You're not really going to be too thrilled about having to deal with that consistently. So it's a relentless motor. His skill set has grown significantly since he came here. He was still a pretty raw prospect when he got here and it took some time for him to get into the lineup didn't happen until last year obviously but I think it's it's that speed the way he can move his shoulders and slip around guys so it's a combination of factors but I think he's I think he's going to have an exceptional year this year and um, you know I got to ask a question for a mailbag that's running next week about whether there was anybody on this roster who could finish with at least five sacks this season knowing that Wisconsin lost Nick Herbick who had 11 and a half sacks last season the number two sack getter was Keanu Benton. He had four and a half sacks and the leading returning sack guy is Mumo who had three and a half last year. And um, I think there's several guys who can contend for that, but Muma and, and Jake Cheney as well are two inside linebackers that have really stepped up their game in terms of pass rushing ability. They have, and we got the chance to talk to Muma today and he was asked about Braylon's comments about him being the guy that gives him the most trouble. And he was talking about how, well, yeah, that's that's really nice of them to say they've won their share. And and was it you that alerted him to that Braylon's Braylon said yeah. it was actually 50-50? Yeah, I was like, well, you know, he's not saying you went out there and just steamrolled him every time. He said it was 50-50, and Muma said, well, I think it was 51-49 for me. Uh, all these guys are competitive. Yeah, for sure, for sure. But I think the other guy that we referenced there is Jake Cheney. Yeah. And he is a guy that gets to his top speed very, very quickly. I thought that that is one thing that stood out in talking to the running backs, but also to Trussell and, and uh, Muma and Jordan Turner for that matter about how quickly he gets going. He's just, as soon as the snap goes, he's by. you. Yeah. I mean, he's had a really outstanding preseason and it's very clear that the distribution of snaps is going to be different than it was last year. At least I think so, because last year it was Muma and Jordan Turner as the starters and Jake Cheney did get a, a significant number of reps, but it was also at a much lower rate than the other two. Jake is just too good to not be out there. And and he even talked about it like last year, he was kind of that third down guy. Okay, put him on the field in this specific situation. I, I think he can 
do a little bit of everything. And we've talked about this every once in a while here the last few months, but we've seen a situation where they put all three on the field. I don't know how frequently that's going to happen, but it just shows you how, how much they think of Cheney. And as Trestle has said on numerous occasions, it's really, they consider the way they look at these guys and wanting to have 22 on the field for offense and defense is there's one a and one B. And if you are a one B, they consider you be to be a starter. If it's the ones and the twos, that's a little bit different, a little bit of a problem in terms of trying to figure out when to get twos on the field. Cheney is a one B and he's going to play a lot. He's going to play a lot. Jordan Turner is going to play a lot. And we got the chance to talk with Jordan Turner today for the first time since his off season of call it missteps and the arrest on an OWI that led to a suspension that kept him out of action for what was it? 10 days, 11 days. Uh, Even though there was no action to be, really had obviously they were not practicing he was still able to do a lot of the off-season workouts so it wasn't really a a huge thing but I think it did affect him at least in talking to him I thought it something that certainly uh found its way into him and made him realize some of the things that he did were not obviously what he wants to be about yeah well during a three-week stretch in June he had two different citations on June 5th he was cited for going 117 miles an hour on the interstate in rock county is 47 miles an hour over the speed limit and then three weeks later in madison he was cited on june 26 for the the owi um and police officers found a small amount of marijuana in the car and um obviously a really difficult situation for him that he put himself in and has had to face the consequences he, he struck me as a guy, and he, he used the words doubt and embarrassment. Um, it put this into him that he was obviously, that's not how he wants to represent himself and his family and this program and team. And he talked about how teammates had really rallied around him. But Mike Trestle was asked about this and how, how, how has Jordan dealt with this? And he talked about he shut his mouth and he worked. And that's what he did. Um, and really, that's the best way to, to go about this and and gain back trust whether it's with teammates questioning or, or with coaches who don't know you at all because this is a totally new staff um so perhaps it instilled um is a learning lesson we'll say that and he used that those words as well he did so they that was the first time we had a chance to talk with him and he's he's a quiet talker by nature in those set, settings and he was it's pretty quiet there too he but he perked up a little bit when he was actually able to talk a little football and Mike Trussell also is very never quiet. Like, I mean, he's, he's a very energetic guy and that has been talked about. Jordan Turner talked about it, how they kind of get, and Jim Leonard was not necessarily this way. That doesn't, this doesn't mean any, this is not a knock against him whatsoever. No one's knocking him. That's including me. I'm just saying he didn't necessarily get involved in absolutely every little thing. And I have a, memory of Mike Trussell down in Platteville when they were doing these one-on-ones down in the corner of the end zone. And I went back and looked at my video and he is everywhere. And it's, he's one-on-one, the pass rushing one-on-ones and he loved every minute and he was getting into it. He was jumping up and down. He was celebrating. It was just a little bit of a different feel to the defensive coordinator spot that had previously been Jim Leonard. Who's not like that. Justin Wilcox, not like that. And Dave Aranda, absolutely not like that. 
Well, it goes back to that notion that you hear people say there's different a million ways to skin a cat. Um, I feel bad for the cat though if he's getting skinned, but you know what I'm saying. Well, yeah, uh, I mean, you, you're you're a cat guy, so. No, I'm not. We have a cat. Doesn't make me a cat guy. Two very different things. But Excuse me. Not, uh, you're you're a No, no, no. Before we before we move any further, you're not a cat guy, but you have a cat. So it's not obviously your Here's cat the then. Thing. Well, it's the it's family's wife's cat. cat. Was not my choice, but at a certain point, you just have to say, "Okay," and that's where we're at. <laughs> but I move, uh, let, let's let's move on. Um, I wrote about I, this. I did the same. I did the same thing for dogs. I, I I love dogs. I have a dog. We had a dog. The wife wanted a second dog, and I said, "I think one dog's fine. We don't need another dog." But she eventually talked me into it. Yeah, there you go. Wasn't a great decision, but a lot more uh, work love, to have a dog. I like love dogs the dogs. Too. Love the dogs. Work. Love the dogs. We could have been. We could have been all right with just one. Sorry. Go ahead. No, you're good. <laughs> uh, it's good to have these in the middle of the show. Keep people on their toes and see if you're still <laughs> listening. Uh, I wrote about this in the spring, but Mike. Trestle, I mean, he would call up the team and for the morning meetings and and scream "Mad Town" and everybody would yell back "Mayhem." And um, it's that's still a thing. Did. Like, I don't know if it's still a thing. I'm just saying this is what I wrote about in the spring. Um, but it was a change. It was such a change because his his energy is what stands out to you immediately. And I remember the first interview that we had with him in January. It was like a 12 minute interview, not all that long for what is an introductory news conference with a coordinator. And when it's finished, you can see him looking around and, and basically he's like, is that all? Come on guys. Like he's just so enthusiastic about talking football. Um, maybe the first time a coach has ever asked for more questions from reporters, but it's been impressive. To see, yes. Been impressive to see what he's been able to do. And I think that th these players have really taken to him, not an easy position to walk into where you're taking over Jim Leonard's room, but he also has, success behind him and I think that goes a long way he was at Michigan State for like 14 years was defensive coordinator at Cincinnati the, the Bearcats just went to the college football playoff two years ago so when people start studying the resume seeing what he's about seeing how energetic and enthusiastic he is about wanting to make players better that goes a long way so he talked for about 10 and a half minutes today 11 minutes today was there anything else that stood out about his conversation I know you kind of were asking him about the the dollar spot and some of the other bodies there that could potentially fill that role if Hunter Wohler is not available. Well, what I asked him was based on what we saw in practice and the last practice that we saw is a week ago now, so things can change. Preston Zachman, Christian Allegro was getting some reps at that dollar spot. And I was just wondering who else outside of Hunter do you think can fill that role? And he didn't expound in a manner where he offered any other names but did say that those are some of the names that they've been working with which leads me to believe that they're very high on Christian Allegro still and uh I think is one of those freshmen who's going to have an opportunity in the, the 2023 class at least to to play this season who are some of the other guys yeah it's three it's, it's like four. Jones, right yeah. Jonas DeClona absolutely Tucker Ashcraft and Atticus Bertram. The tight end. And then Atticus Bertrams. And Atticus obviously not the exact same situation as the other guys because he signed with USC in 2022 class, had back issues, never enrolled, but he's got all his eligibility and so therefore is a freshman. So he'll, he'll be Wisconsin's punter. But those were the ones, and another that's another mailback question I was asked. Um, but th those that's what I said. And Jonas, I think, is... For a true freshman to come in as an early enrollee and establish yourself with the twos in the spring says a lot, but to hold it down in the way that he has 
uh, says even more during fall camp when you're being challenged by new guys. So, you know, Jace Arnold has started to earn some third team reps while Nizir Forkirin has really come on and, and established himself with the twos at corner. But I think Duclone is going to get some reps. Tucker Ashcraft absolutely is going to get some reps at tight end. And then uh, Allegro is sort of the wild card to me. Like, I don't know what it means that he's gotten some reps in that dollar package, but it means something. It does, but it also feels like he could be a special teamer, right? If, if yeah. he was going to play this year, he's got that type of body that can play a bunch of different special teams, if that is what they deem possible. Uh, Declona, I did ask Russell about him today, like kind of what stands out about him. My mind's kind of blanking on exactly what he had to say about it, but it was it was kind of a situation where he's a guy that, like every corner that you've ever met in your entire life, they're confident as heck. They think that they will have never gotten beat. And if they do get beat, they don't remember it the next time they go up there. That's the calling card of any very good corner. Like you can't play cornerback if you have a good memory. If you have a really, really good, like in terms of thing, bad things happening. If you remember the bad things, you're never going to be able to get over it. It's a it, very good conversation with uh, Ricardo Hallman about that. What happened at Michigan State last year? And I remember he came in to, we had to talk to him. I don't know if it was after that game, but it was certain. I don't think it was after the game. I think it was after that, the week after the, like the Monday that we got to talk to players and he came out and he answered all the questions and he did not seem to have lost confidence whatsoever. Now he took a step back and didn't play a ton the rest of the year, mainly because Alexander, uh, Alexander Smith was back and able to kind of step back into that role. But then you come back and talk to him this year and he's still got the exact same confidence that he can go out there and play all the time. And sometimes with guys, it's like, I don't believe that confidence. I don't, I mean, I, there are players at Wisconsin I've talked to and they say they're confident and I don't necessarily believe them. Ricardo Hallman, I feel feel that way about him is in terms of, I believe he's still that confident about his ability. Going back to DeClona, that's kind of the same feel I get. We don't have a guy to talk to him, but it's kind of get that feel with him. And that's really hard to do as a young guy, because I think it's very easy to get in your head. You're stepping up a level, you get beat and we'll see what happens in a game because when the, when the bullets are flying, it's a little bit different. You get beat once or twice. You maybe start to question yourself, but it certainly seems like he has all the confidence in the world. There's a reason why this staff went after him after Duclona decommitted from Cincinnati and they went down to Naples three times in a few weeks to make sure that they landed him. So a very intriguing true freshman. I think there's some other true freshmen that, I'm really interested in, but don't necessarily think we'll see this season like a Jamel Howard. I mean, maybe it'd be different if he hadn't gotten hurt early in camp and, and he had a chance because they want to play so many defensive linemen. And that's not to say he can't break through this season. It's just harder for me to make a determination when I only got to see him for one and a half practices, but you don't get very many, what is he? 318 pound defensive lineman coming in right away. Who can carry that, who can blow people back. Um, and there's a handful of other guys that I'm interested in, like a Tyler Janzi, like a Tretch Kekahuna, if and when he gets to be healthy. But I don't we're, we're not going to see those guys this year in a significant capacity based on what we've seen so far. Amari Snowden. Absolutely. How could I forget Amari Snowden? All six foot four of your him. guy. Your guy. I like him. Not many dudes built like him at that position. There are not too many dudes built like him at that position. So Wisconsin, again, will be uh, back on the field on Friday morning. They've got. A little, how many more practices fall camp they got? I think Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, and I think I think that's the end of camp. I no? guess it is. I don't. No? I don't know when All it's right. officially over. 
I feel like I feel like that Monday scrimmage, and I, again, they may do stuff after that, but not too far away. Have you started your preparation and looking to Buffalo and what the Bulls could potentially provide as a challenge to Wisconsin? Zero. So for those of you uh, desperately seeking insight, you're not going to get it here. Not yet, anyway. <laughs> not going not gonna to get it here. Yes. Um, all right, before we close things up here, I wanted to talk a little bit about your story about Colin Hitchler. Colin Hitchler has been an all-star of a recruiter to this point in his time at Wisconsin. Obviously, he's got a really good safeties room, but I believe seven, is it seven of the 21 commits that Wisconsin has in this class? And I guess, you know, if you want to throw Xavier Lucas in there too, he's kind of a safety, kind of a kind of a cornerback, but specifically out to the East Coast, Colin Hitchler's played a huge role in that. And you, you wrote a story recently about him. Yeah, I had a chance to talk to him um, last week, and it was funny when I broached the subject, I could see how uncomfortable he was with him being highlighted in that way. And he really started it off by saying, I don't know if I have much to say, but he offered a little more insight into the process and what has been successful. I don't every once in a while, there's an assistant coach at Wisconsin that kind of stands out as a recruiting star or someone that has a lot of success. And we're all still learning about this staff, but Hitchler has been unbelievable and it's not so much it, it is the quantity yes but it's the quality as well because three of those seven are four-star prospects um Emilio Agard the cornerback from Philadelphia Dylan Jones the running back from Maryland and Kevin Haywood the four-star offensive tackle from Pennsylvania um and he's also got to commit in the 2025 class um Remington Moss who's from Virginia and is the first Virginia high school commit from for Wisconsin in the internet recruiting rankings era. So he's been able to tap into his East coast pipeline all up and down that coast. And what he said was it's more about selling the program and the vision because he's worked with Luke fickle since I think 2018 at Cincinnati, he can tell everyone what it's like to play for fickle, the culture that's they build at Cincinnati, the one they want to continue to build at Wisconsin. And I think that goes a long way with people. And I asked Luke about this too. He talked about how Colin is a, is constantly learning and whether it's from Luke, whether it was when Marcus Freeman was the defensive coordinator at Cincinnati, he's able to take constructive criticism. And he talked about how really incredible it is the way Colin has developed as a coach and as a recruiter and players and coaches and, and also the parents of players say the same thing. There's one story that stands out to me from Raphael Dunn's dad and Dunn is the another really lanky, tall defensive back that they were able to land and his dad said they came for a visit and Colin gave this presentation. It was a video presentation and there was so much detail in it where he's showing highlights of here's what the best players at Cincinnati did. Here's what they're doing in the NFL. Here's what we do at Wisconsin. Here's your video, Raphael, and here's how you fit in. And this is why it's such a great fit. I know other coaches do it, but Raphael's dad said that kind of detail convinced all of them that this is where they needed to be. And that if Colin is willing to put that much detail into a presentation, imagine what he can do for these guys on the field. So we're still early in this process, but for him to have the success that he has already really shows at 37 years old that he's a rising star. And I don't expect that to subside in the near future that he'll continue to get guys for Wisconsin in recruiting. Yeah, he's been impressive. Definitely has been. So Good start, obviously, for him to his Wisconsin career. And obviously, we'll see if that can continue into the 2025 class. As you said, already got one. And I'm sure he's going to be a big part of this going forward as long as he is here. Right? We'll see. All right, Jesse, we'll be back. We're going to get into our normal here rotation of shows. So we'll be going Sunday, Tuesday, Thursday, 
from now on until, well, throughout the rest of the season. And by Sunday, Tuesday, Thursday, I mean, we're going to be doing the camp on Sunday. We're going to be doing the camp on Tuesday. And then we've got our new radio show coming, Temple and Heilprin, live from Monk's Bar and Grill in Sun Prairie every Thursday from 6 to 7. You can listen on Zone Madison. You can come out and see us. That's, that'd be our first preference. And then you can also catch it on the podcast that likely won't be uh, put up until Friday at some point after I work off my hangover, um, which I'm going to have plenty of because I'm going to enjoy myself on Thursday nights at Monk's Bar and Grill. Great drink specials, great food, and tons of football to watch. So I'm looking forward to that. Also, we've got an Instagram account. The camp does now. It's, I, I, do you think it's a little tough to keep all these things straight, Jesse? Am I right? The good news is you're the one that has to keep them straight. That's a good point. But uh, I appreciate all your efforts. Yeah. So all of you on the gram, make sure to follow us, even though we're a decade and a half late. Yeah, the camp podcast. We have an account, some videos, some graphics, some stuff that probably won't be posting elsewhere. So give it a give it a give it a look. And also follow us on our YouTube page as well. We appreciate all the support there that we've gotten. I know we maybe we pushed to a thousand, then I've kind of let off the gas a little bit. I may have to push back on the gas here a little bit and force a whole bunch of people to sign up because we can see people are watching that aren't actually subscribed. I need you people that are watching to subscribe as well. I need that. I need that. But we'll be back on Sunday. Until then, thank you very much, Jesse. Thanks, Zach. All right, there is Jesse Temple from The Athletic. You've been listening to The Camp.